Welcome to Tabernacles 2023, last great day. The marathon will end on this day, hopefully. We want to thank everyone for coming. It's been marvelous to have you here. We started out eight days ago with a theme. The theme was, help me, to your tents, O Israel. Find your, help me, tribal family. And finally, your Christ-centered church. I think that we have really adequately endeavored to emphasize to your tents, O Israel. I think that has occurred. And that is the call to come out and be ye separate. So let's review 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out. Now, please, if you know these verses, say them with me. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That's a racial factor. And will I will be your father, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. That's a promise. Come out and be ye separate. Separate from the gathering multiracial, racially diverse, multicultural religious Babylon of our generation. Then we talked about finding your tribal family. That's been emphasized. I think that base has been covered, and I'd like to remind the congregation that to find your tribal family means that you have an abiding love for those of your own race and kind. You have an abiding love for your people. We could hope and pray that our love might be equal or at least approaching the love that St. Paul the Apostle had for the people called Israel. When he said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness in my heart and continual sorrow. Is that you and I? For my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the, help me, the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, and of whom as Concerning the flesh, Christ has come. 
That's everything between the covers of the Bible, folks. Nothing left but the maps. Do we have a love for our kinsmen? Extended family lost in darkness. Darkness covers America today. Do we have loved ones in that darkness? Is there anyone here that cannot say, I have no one in my family that remains in darkness? I see no hands. We are in desperate need of the light. The one who said, I am the light of the world. St. Paul had that love. He said, brethren, say it with me, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel might, not could be, hopefully shall be, that Israel might be saved from what? The wrath of God to come. The wrath of God to come. That's judgment. That's judgment. Be saved from judgment. Judgment. Fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. Ask the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah if you ever have a chance to talk to them. So Paul says, For I bear them record. My people, I bear them record. The church-going people. Those who believe they are Israel, but have yet to find the king. Those who believe they are of the seed of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but they are still lost in their own self-righteous racial judgment, justice belief. They have self-justified. St. Paul says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They love God, they say. They have a zeal for God. They can quote the Ten Commandments. But St. Paul said, if you dig beyond that zeal, they have, and they are living in ignorance, ignorance of God's righteousness. Romans 10, verse 3. Were they going about to establish their own Righteousness, self-justification, have not established the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. St. Paul goes on to say in Romans 10, For Christ is the end of the law to them that believe. If we do not find the last part of the theme at Tabernacles 2023, it will do us little good to find the tents 
of Israel. You may flee to the tents, but your sin will find you out if it's uncovered, unconfessed, and not under the blood of Christ. And you may love your family and your family tribal members, but if they are not under the blood, it will be of no avail. So we need to deal with the third part of the of the theme. Find Christ-centered people. People that love, worship, believe, follow, and want to be under the headship of Christ. That's who you need to be with. So St. Paul says that if thou shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that thou shalt be. For with the heart, heart, subjective knowledge, subjective conviction, for from the heart a man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, Confession is made to salvation. So if you're one of these silent Christians that has never confessed, never made a profession of Christ, you need to do that. You need to have a testimony. You must have a testimony. And they overcame him. They overcame him. Talking about the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. I'm talking about Babylon. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. Do you have a testimony? And they love not their lives unto death. You should not fear death. No one in this congregation should have any fear of death. No fear of death. Say that. No fear of death. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 12. Chapter number 12. And verse number... Four and five. Let's read that together if you have your Bible. I'm in Luke 12, 4 and 5. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more harm that they can do. So that's, that's to you and I. Do not worry about those who have the power to kill your body. But let's go on and see what else Christ told his people. But I will warn you, forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which he, after he hath killed, have power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. We have a lot of Israelites in 21st century America that have little fear of God. And they have less fear of 
hell because they don't even believe there's a hell. That's how bad off we are. That's how far away from God we are. When you have been so deceived that you don't believe there is a hell, brother, sister, you're deceived. Let me tell you. And you can write that down on the day of judgment if you don't want to believe it in this world. So the, the third call here of this theme is to find your place in Jesus Christ. That's, that's the goal. And that would be the most wonderful thing in the world if we could leave Tabernacles 2023 and everybody have a conviction in their heart. Only one life, it will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ is going to last in the end. So let's go on a little journey real quickly here. Time will go quickly. And I'd like to explore the idea of the preeminence of Christ for a moment. I want you to just think of all the beautiful verses in the Bible that exalt the preeminence of Christ, our Savior, our Lord, the King of Kings. The entire Old Testament is devoted to the messianic promise of His coming. That's all the Old Testament, 85% of the Bible. The 15% of the New Testament is the confirmation that what the Old Testament said would happen, happen. And the rest of the New Testament, together with the Old Testament, has to do with when He comes to complete His mission. To take care of the wicked and to set up his kingdom on this earth. For a resurrection of the dead, translation of those that are living, the regathering of his people, and the setting up of his kingdom. All of that is hinging on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Everything I just said. So it's little wonder that the Gospel of John opens up with, in the beginning was the Word. Say it with me. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word Verse 14, John 1, was made flesh. Jesus became a man, was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the Gospel of John. It took the Christian world all the way to 431 at the Council of Ephesus, to figure out who Jesus was. That's 
400 years. If you struggle to understand the being of God, keep praying about it. It took 400 years for the brightest in the first 400 years of Christianity to figure that out. Now, some of them figured it out early, but not in a unified way. Think of what St. Paul said about Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. Now, that's a big statement. The firstborn of every creature confirmed elsewhere in New Testament Scripture. I want you to think about something. If Jesus is the firstborn of every creature, when was the body that Jesus is going to wear on this earth to be our Savior, Redeemer, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, when was that body created, planned? When was the soul of that body? When was that? Firstborn of every... Theology is a deep subject. That's why we can get lost if we're not careful. That's why we need each other to bring correction. When preachers need wrinkles ironed out, you help us. Because we, we, we don't know all the truth by any means. We're all students. We're all students. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things made that are in You people help me. That are in heaven and that are in the earth. Visible and invisible. Whether there be thrones or principalities or powers. Help me. All things were created by him and for, and by him all things consist. And he is the head. The head. The head. You and I are not the head. He is the head of what? The body which is the head of the body which is the church, the firstborn from the dead. That in him all the preeminence is found in Christ alone. For in him dwelleth the fullness of God. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. In Christ dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he is the head of all principality and power. There's nothing that is not under him. Nothing. You may know your genetics, and that's wonderful, folks. But if you don't know the king, your genetics will fail you.
St. Paul also said this in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, in the likeness of man, and what comes thereafter. I'm in Philippians 2. He was made in the likeness of man to become a servant unto his Christ, became a servant to his people. So let's just turn to Philippians 2 and look at it closely. If you will, please. Philippians chapter number 2. We look there very quickly and we see these words. Philippians 2, verse 8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What kind of obedience is that? Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is what? Lord. Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus holds the preeminence. So having said that, beloved, let's think about the preeminence of Christ in the Bible. Just think about it. The Bible is a, big, a, a book of, it's a library in and of itself. Think of a library with 66 books. 1,189 chapters. 31,102 plus words. That's a lot of words. A lot of words written by 40 Israelite authors over a period of 1,600 years. Many of them did not know each other. No collaboration. Living in different geographical regions of time, of the earth and of time. And yet their word all comes together in the most wonderful, glorious manner one could ever imagine. And the generic name of the people to whom the Bible was written to, for, and about appears more than 2,570 times in the Bible. And that name is Israel. Jacob was the first Israelite. His name was the first, his person was the first one to be given that name. So the Bible is a story, a wonderful story of the gospel to a people that are lost in this world. Jesus said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep. 
the lost, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And boy, are we lost today. But there's hope. There's a ray of hope. Just a few days ago, by mere accident, it may have not been accidental, I happened to tune in to a rally that was underway and Donald Trump was the speaker. I heard him say this, we need a savior. I immediately came to attention. Yes, we need a savior. Who is that savior going to be? Please, Donald, don't say I'm the savior. And he didn't. I was so relieved. I couldn't keep the tears back. He said we need a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. I had not heard him say that ever. But he said it. And he said it to thousands of people. And there was no opposition. I didn't hear any booing when he said it. People, America is lost. And without Jesus Christ, we'll remain lost. We're not going to find our way through the darkness that covers this land until we find the king in that city that's set on a hill. Not many weeks ago now, Tucker Carlson made an amazing announcement from my little corner of understanding when he said... And this was not verbatim, but it's close. He talked about leaving Fox News. And what a sudden paradigm shock that was for his family. Because his entire life is spent, was, has been spent under someone else's cover in the media. He was their employee. And suddenly to be out, cast out on his own, he didn't know where to turn. The thought came to him, maybe I ought to just read the Bible. I'll just start reading the Bible. I'll just start reading the Bible. Isn't that what America needs to do? Just start reading the Bible. So Tucker Carlson began to read the Bible. He read the first 15% of the Bible, which is the New Testament. Didn't take him long to do that. Then he turned to the 85% called the Old Testament, which is the foundation of the New Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so, Tucker Carlson began to read the Old Testament. When he made this announcement, he had gotten to the book of Deuteronomy. And he was amazed to find out things that he'd never heard before. He'd attended the Episcopalian church called the Anglican Church in England, or the Church of England. He said, I can't believe all the things I'm reading in the Bible that I never heard in my church.
He went on to say something, folks, that I think is most significant. And, and this is what I think we need to remember. That our God has the potential to open the eyes of some influential people. If he chooses to do so. We're in a land in darkness. But Tucker Carlson went on to say that he'd come to the conclusion that far above the Democratic and Republican parties and all the division in this country, there is an overarching, an overarching cosmic battle underway. He did not elaborate on what that cosmic battle was. But you and I know that beyond this visible world that we see with our five senses, there is a battle of the ages unfolding. Have your eyes caught the vision? Has your heart felt the thrill to the call of the Master? Do you answer, I will? For the conflict of the ages, taught by prophets and by sages, in its fury, is now upon us. Is upon us today. Tabernacles 2023. Dare not end without our taking a place under Christ in this conflict. In this conflict of the ages. So what is this cosmic overarching battle? We are mere actors on the stage of history. The curtains have opened. We live in a divided nation. But far above the voices of any politician, there is a sovereign God who watches over his little remnant tucked here on planet Earth. And he made a covenant with those people. He swore by his own name because he could swear by none greater. And he made an oath to our father Abraham. He confirmed it in Isaac. He established it in Jacob. He multiplied it among the 12 tribes. It is the unconditional promise of a covenant to the children of the promised child, Isaac. Abraham's the father of eight sons, but only one. Does the Bible say in his seed shall thy seed be called? That was the child of promise. We are the children of the promise. The children of the promise. The children of the promise. And everything is hinging on that promise. And Jesus came to confirm that promise. That's why he went to Calvary. To confirm the Abrahamic covenant of redemption out of which flows salvation. Not to the other rest of the world, but to his people. 
He's the kinsman redeemer to the people he came to redeem. So having said that, and looking at the last part of the theme for Tabernacles 2023, I'm reminded of the two bookend verses of the Bible, both of which clearly punctuate, confirm, establish Jesus Christ as the beginning and the end of all Bible truth. So in the beginning, after sin entered into the world, God lined up all the parties that participated in the fall. You find it in your Bible in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 14, ending in verse 19. But we're only looking at verse 14, because that is what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium, the first promise of a gospel. That promise in Genesis 3.15 necessitated the Abrahamic covenant as the means by which that promise of the one who would crush the head of the serpent would come. So let's look at that verse, Genesis 3.15. You have your Bibles? God is the one speaking. And he says, I will, that's God Almighty, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Who's he speaking to? Is he, is he speaking to an ethereal, mythical person? Is he just talking to, who's he talking to? You have all kinds of people that believe the Israel truth that have no clue who God is talking to in Genesis 3 and verse 15. They don't even believe there is a Satan. Folks, listen, we are in urgent need of true Bible theology. We're a, we're a people on life support. And the doctor has come in and said, good gracious, this person's about to die for one of Bible truth. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It, it, the woman's seed shall bruise thy head and your wicked seed will bruise who? His heel. The bruising of that heel took place at Calvary. But the head of that serpent is yet to be crushed. Be patient. Romans 16, 20. I pray God that Satan's, the serpent be crushed under the foot of Jesus quickly. Now, in Genesis 3.15, we know the first woman of the Bible. Who was she? 
Eve, the mother of all living from Adam's race. Period. Don't enlarge what the Bible says. Eve was the mother of all living descended from Adam and Eve. Eve was in the garden when the serpent came. And the serpent challenged the authority of the word of God. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. A question he planted in the mind of the woman. Now the people that do not believe in hell, do not believe in Satan, do not believe in angels, shame on them. Because they have only one position. Eve was hallucinating. Talking to herself. But wait a minute. At this point in time, Eve is uncontaminated by sin. She has only a bias to good. She does not know what evil is. Because she hasn't tasted of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Shame on anybody that wants to contaminate her before the time. So the serpent assaults the word of God. He's still assaulting the word of God. And it's the chief battleground of the ages. The authority of God and scripture over the intellectual reasoning of the human mind. Still the battle that we face today. Because we live in a nation of unbelieving people. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible. We've rejected God. We've rejected the Bible. No wonder God has abandoned America. So we find here that Genesis 3.15 is putting enmity between thee between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Well, with a promise that though the, the serpent will bruise the heel of the woman's seed, that seed will one day crush the head of the serpent, and when the head is gone, the body will die. That means every wicked part of that progeny will find their Prophetic end in Matthew 13, 30. Let both grow together. The wheat and the tares. Until the time of the reapers. That's the angels. Relax. And the promise is that the tares will be gathered and bundled for the burning. That's the job of the angels. Pity those who have dispensed with all angel kind. They're left with a lot of concern, I'm sure. So we need to remember that God promised to gather the wheat into the barn. Wonder why the greatest white flight out 
of the asphalt jungles of America is now underway. The largest exodus of our Anglo-Saxon people out of the cities has been underway now for a long, long time. But it, there's, a, there's a rush now. And it is, there is so much competition now for a plot of land. If you have five acres in the country and you have a little house sitting on it, you are someone that can sell that overnight. Buyers everywhere. Sellers fewer and fewer. Because they know a storm is coming. It's an innate feel. But they don't know their king. And their five acres may not do them much good. You don't know the king. You're not prepared for his coming. You're not ready for the gathering storm unfolding. So I remind the congregation that the first woman in the Bible, now, I'm not trying to be hard on Eve, our mother, but St. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 says it was the woman that was deceived. That makes Adam even more guilty because he was not deceived. But give him a break. His love for that woman was so great, it overpowered him. Men, be careful. Adam, in his celestial glory, looked at a beautiful woman in her now terrestrial state. And well was his temptation increased. Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible tells us in Genesis 3 verse 6, She gave him of the fruit of that tree and he did eat. Willfully, knowingly, deliberately. Men, that's why you have to be leaders. Men are vulnerable to the feminine gender. Be strong. Many strong men have been slain by her. Including the wisest man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. And he became so enamored with feminine gender that he added every beautiful one he found to his harem. 700 concubines, 300 wives. Don't try to figure that out. So let's look at it, folks. Look at it this way. When you take a long, hard look at Genesis 3.15, there is the beginning of the gospel. And the Abrahamic covenant of promise unconditional promise that God made, sealed it with his own sworn testimony, that covenant 
involves the very integrity and sovereignty of God. And I will assure you that standing here today, we are here by the grace of Jesus Christ on the merits of the Abrahamic covenant of promise. That's why we're here. So now, Genesis 3.15 is the bookend over here for the Old Testament. But let's look at the New Testament bookend, and that will take us to Revelation 12.17. So I dare you to turn there. Leave your Bible closed, but I'm going to dare you to open it. If you don't know that verse. Revelation 12, 17. The Bible says, and the dragon. Oh, the dragon. Wow. That's, that sounds like science fiction language. The dragon was wroth with the woman. That sounds like anger to me. Does it to you? Now, what do you think that dragon, who is that dragon? Who is the dragon? Who is the dragon of Revelation 12, 17? The dragon was wroth with the woman, went to make war with the remnant of her seed. The remnant of her seed, hello? The war is with the remnant of her seed. The war is with the remnant of the seed of the woman who was labeled the deplorables in 2016 who was labeled racist bigots in 2017, who was labeled white supremacists in 2018, who was labeled beginning in 2019 and 2020, 2021, domestic terrorist. The remnant and particularly the remnant of the woman's seed that know who they are. That know who they are. It's one thing, it's one thing to be called a deplorable and still in darkness and not know who has the light. It's not good to be called a white supremacist and not know that you're only supreme because you were called by Christ to be a special people. That's the only thing that makes you supreme. Take that away from us and we're a ragtag people without much power at all. So let's look at Revelation 12, 17, a moment. The dragon is identified in Revelation 12 and verse 9. Look at Revelation 12, 9, and have no fear. The scripture is near. Your eyes can be opened. Let's look at it. Revelation 12, and verse number nine. Revelation 12, nine. That dr great dragon was cast out. 
identified as that old serpent called the devil and Satan. End of story. There it is. That old serpent called the devil. The first name he ever wore in Scripture was Lucifer. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. That's this cosmic battle that's raging. It's an invisible war. You can't see it, but it's up in operation right now. And you know people that are caught up in that cosmic war and don't even know it. Because there's a world of demon, demon influence out here in America. There's a lot of people that are demon-possessed under demon influence and do not know it. They are innocent lambs under demonic influence, demonic power. St. Paul said it this way. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against, hear it, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world. That's demonic forces. Believe it or not, a majority of Israelites are not aware of that invisible world of demonic power. And the only way that you avoid that demonic power is to get under the headship of Jesus Christ, find you other people that believe in Jesus Christ, and associate with those people. Let them be your neighbor. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Who is that woman? Who is the woman? That woman is Israel. The same woman that God married at Mount Sinai in 1491 when Israel came out of Egypt. Wrote his, their wedding vows called the Ten Commandments. That set of commandments were the wedding vows that our people exchanged with Jehovah God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We broke those vows. But the blood of Christ and the promise of the Abrahamic covenant has made a way back for the woman cast off, lost, divorced of her husband. The blood of Jesus Christ has paid the price for the redemption of the woman that finds her way back to the vows and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So Revelation 12, 17 says that the dragon is wroth with the woman. That simply means that the dragon hates all white people. Amen. 
No exception. If you're born white, you're in the crosshair of the enemy. Doesn't matter what you believe. You may be a, a, a pink-lilied liver, liberal. But you're st- if you're white, you're still the enemy. A lot of white liberals are going to be shot because they don't know that just by merely trying to assuage their guilt by bowing down to Black Lives Matter, the only way to lift their guilt is at the cross, not kneeling before the black lives that they think matter so much. Well, I didn't say they didn't matter, but white lives matter too. We forget that. So he's wroth with the woman, but he went to make war with the remnant of her seed. He went to make war with the remnant of her seed. That's why you and I need to trust in a sovereign God that has the power, that has the the power and the ability to erase your name from the computer of the beast. That has the power to cover you with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that can blind the eyes of the enemy and turn them away from you. If God can find how many righteous in the city of Sodom, he will spare it. If he could find how many, what was the bottom line? Ten. Find me ten people that are righteous in Sodom, and I'll save them from an atomic bomb. How many did God find? Obviously, he didn't find ten, because he destroyed that sinkhole of homosexuality. He wiped it out. It's at the bottom of the Dead Sea today. He drug Lot out by his, the nap of his neck. His wife was following for a little ways, but she couldn't give up her toaster. I mean, she couldn't give up her microwave. She had to turn back. Once you take hold of the plow handles, don't look back. Forward is the only direction you can go. So the war is with the remnant of her seed. The remnant of her seed. Now, because we have such a limited time, I'm going to quickly remind you that just as we had the first man in the Old Testament named Adam, Adam, wherefore is by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all Adam. Do you know anyone from Adam's race that has not died? 
Only Jesus rose up from the dead because he was sinless, spotless, and the germ of death, the sting of death, was not in his body because he was the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. Death could not hold him in the tomb. He rose from the dead. All the other gods of this world are turned to dust in the ground. Jesus Christ lives. He rose from the dead. We have the first woman in the Old Testament named Eve. The first man named Adam. Eve got us in trouble. Adam compounded it by many degrees. That's the reason verses 17, 18, and 19 are devoted to Adam. Genesis 3 and only one verse to the women. God said everything about the woman he wanted to say in one verse. But he took three verses to talk to the men. That's worthy of deep consideration. But in the New Testament, who is the first woman that we read about? Now, we have a genealogical table when Matthew's gospel opens. But before that chapter ends, who is found to be with child? Tabernacles 2023, we've been celebrating the birth of Christ. Mary is the first woman of the new covenant. Mary. Eve is the first woman of the old covenant. In the old covenant, in the Garden of Eden, Eve tied us into a knot. In the new covenant, God will use the womb of the first woman named to untie the knot. Amen. The Virgin Mary will untie the knot. Now God chose a virgin untainted by intimacy for a reason. It wasn't because Mary was without sin. No, we're, got, we're not going down the road to Roman Catholicism and the Immaculate Conception. That's how they got around the problem. So how do you and I, how do you and I visually understand that a woman named Mary, a young virgin, could become the mother of a child, very God and very man, that being very man... He could be a kinsman redeemer and not have Mary's fallen nature in his nature. If Mary's chromosomes were contributors to the genetics of Jesus, then we do not have a perfect man. Amen. By man came death, 
1 Corinthians 15, by man came the resurrection. If by one man's sin, sin entered into the race, by one man, perfect man, very man, Jesus Christ came life and resurrection and hope. Jesus hung on the cross, very God and very man, but it was a man who was on that cross, not borrowing from his divinity. He was no different than anyone in this building today, bearing all the pain of the most hideous way to die that's ever been devised by human evil mind. So in trying to bring this to an end, God help me, think of it this way. Hebrews chapter 10 says regarding the body of Jesus. A body has thou prepared for, for him. God prepared a body. I told you earlier that he's the firstborn of every creature. Think about it. So when the Bible says, Hebrews 2, that for as much as the children of God took on flesh, because you didn't always live in a flesh body, your soul and spirit was in the repository of God's sovereign hand before you gained a body. Inasmuch as the children took on flesh, their Redeemer took on flesh. But what kind of flesh? Now Billy Graham might be content to say it was Hawaiian, Oriental, Asian, or some other species. But what does the Bible say? Verily, he took not on the nature of angels. Remember old Mr. Arius? Oh, what a war he declared against the divinity of Christ. He took not on him the nature of angels. Jesus wasn't some kind of a super duper angel. He took on the the seed of Abraham. Look at your Bible. Now think about it, even if thinking is a lost art. Hebrews 2.16, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on the seed. He took on the seed of Abraham. Now that really is most significant, people. Because in taking on the seed of Abraham, how did that happen? How did Jesus take on the seed of Abraham? Because it certainly didn't come through Joseph. He's a fallen man. See, you and I have a problem of knowing and solving this riddle. And I don't claim to have the answer to the riddle. But it's a theological mystery. 
that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Why is it hard to figure out? Because a woman has no biological seed. Do we all say amen? amen. There's no, no woman in history ever had biological seed. She's the receiver of the seed, but not the giver. So how in the world is a woman's seed going to crush the head of the serpent? And there's only one way. That seed has to be planted in a virgin's womb. And what does God tell us in Luke chapter number 1? Turn there. Turn there and pray that I have just a quick moment left on vapor that I'm running on to read from the Gospel of St. Luke chapter number 1. I'm in Luke 1.30, quickly. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. For behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Now wait a minute. No woman ever conceived in her womb in history. It's impossible, not going to happen. Conception will never take place in the womb. And thou shalt bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over, reign over, reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Wow, what a statement that is. Amen. Then Mary said unto the angel, and if you were in Mary's shoe leather, you would say the same question. How can this be, seeing I know not a man? Amen. Can you empathize with that poor girl? Yeah. I can. Young girl. She hadn't been to a public school to find out what they're corrupting the minds of our children with today in American public schools. But she knew... There's no way she can be having a child if she doesn't even know a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now, that's the mystery that we don't understand. When that Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, power overshadowed the woman, that young virgin woman, what happened? That seed of Abraham that our father had created before any other seed. Because Jesus is called the second Adam. 1 Corinthians 15. There's a first Adam. There's a second Adam. The first Adam fell. The second Adam rose. 
triumphant over death. That is the head of the new Adam. Jesus is our new Adam. We're under his headship now, but if we haven't found Christ, we're still under this old sinful headship of Adam in carnal nature, unrepentant sinner. And so let me say what Jeremiah might tell us regarding the virgin birth. Here it is. Jeremiah the prophet, 31 verse 22. For the Lord Jehovah hath created a new thing. That ought to catch our attention. A woman shall compass a man. Not receive a seed from another man, but compass a man. And that man is Jesus' very man and very God, two natures inseparably united in one person, Jesus Christ. Not to be confused, commingled, as so many want or want to do. So Mary was the mother, but not by genetics, because God put all 46 chromosomes from the first creature he created, who is the image of God, the firstborn of every creature, into her womb. Because God wanted a kinsman. Now that's how I would answer the seed of the woman. Because Jesus is the only one in human history that ever come from a womb of a woman that was not planted there by the seed of man. It was a human seed of Adam, but God did the planting. Now, if there's a better way to iron that wrinkle out, let me know. But I'm sure not going to go the way of the Immaculate Conception and deify Mary so that I can marry, marry another God. But at the same time, I want to preserve the spotless nature of the Son of God. Amen. We dare not surrender the, um, the, this perfect, the perfect nature of Christ as the Lamb without spot and without blemish. Is it any wonder then why the dragon is rough against the white race? Because he knows that out of that race came not only the Redeemer, but the seed line of the people that the Redeemer came to save. So there's a double reason why Satan hates white. He hates them because 
of their genetic linkage to Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the rest of the patriarchs, the prophets, the apostles, the martyrs. But he hates them because out of that people came the Redeemer, the kinsman that saved them. And he alone can save us. So the theme of the tabernacles, to your tents, O Israel, find your tribal family and flee, run, and keep running and don't stop till you find Jesus Christ where he is loved, worshipped, adored, believed, exalted, and where all members of his body, every member of his body, from the least to the end, are willing to bow down and yield to the, the authority of the Son of God in the sacred scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, let's be standing.